Hi, I'm Brand Gear with today's talk about the opiate crisis in the world today. But first, let's talk about stress and how to manage it. Stress plays a big part in an addict and the using of drugs. As for myself, um, yeah, I've been through a lot of stress over the last few years. And um, yes, yeah, stress does play a major part in the usage of drugs because we're always trying to escape the pain or just try to make ourselves feel numb so we don't have any feelings at all. Okay, so stressful life events may cause initiation of drug use among people. The main purpose of this study was to evaluate the effectiveness of stress management, skill training on depression, anxiety, and stress levels in drug addicts after withdrawal. Apparently, training addicts about life skills, particularly stress management, seems to be a good idea. Studies have been revealed on psychological causes of addiction and relapse after treatment. Being the one factor that has been cited in many studies is stress. Number one is stress, okay? So we have to manage that. Stress symptoms such as depression, anxiety, nervous stress and tension, insomnia, sexual disorders, fatigue, reduced memory, lead to various interactional physical and organic impairments such as chronic headaches, intestinal swelling, shortness of breath, etc. can be seen at the individual level. Today, stress is considered an inevitable part of human life. Moving on, the mentioned studies on stress have emphasized what healthy behaviors is not occurring in a stress-free environment. The individual's assessment coping methods with stress and how to deal with it. Addiction has major effects not only on the addict but also on the other family members. Possible negative effects of addiction on beloved members of addict friends and family are not easily measured and included emotional stress, financial costs, fatigue, anxiety, and depression. Now we're going to get into CBT which means Cognitive Behavioral Therapy is one of the most frequent treatment studies for drug use disorders. I myself have been to the CBT program, CBT program for a couple years and it it is awesome. It really does help with the stress and everything, even the addiction. Cuz you get that stress down, then you can help your addiction, you can help to recover. The CBT goal is to clear the individual using on strategic skills training in various fields. Cognitive behavioral strategies include decreasing referrals, decreasing drug symptoms, preparing for coping with stressful situations of relapse, and nurturing the individual to stop using drugs. People who suffer from emotional trauma are more likely to struggle with addiction because they might use substances to numb the pain, deal with PTSD, or escape. Dr. William James once said the greatest weapon against stress is the ability to choose one thoughts over another. Change the way you think. This is the single most effective treatment you can do for managing stress. Change your thoughts. You can train your, your, your mind to do anything you want it to do. And I have. And I know that you can too if you really want it. There are 10 stress busters that help. Number one is be active, whether it's walking, reading, um, anything. Just keep your mind active on doing other things and thinking other things instead of thinking about the drug. 
uh, or thinking or instead of thinking about what stresses you out the most. Number two, take control. Take control of your life. That includes friendships, relationships. We need to work on ourselves first before we can be in a relationship, before we can be in a full-blown relationship. Dating is okay as long as y'all ain't rushing and moving in together and blah, 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 so on, so on. We need to work on ourselves first, get our stress levels under control, all our emotions, everything that we've been through, get it all under control. And then as an addict, we quit the drugs as well on top of that. So we have to get our life under control. We have to take control. We got this. Number three, connect with people not using. Also connect with people that are going to be supportive of you and, and what you plan to do. Number four, have some me time. Me time is a good time. Um, I have me time a lot, and but there's sometimes I have to go for a walk or with a friend or, or go out and see my sisters and talk to them. And, you know, sometimes you have to have interaction with other people. Just nice hello, hi, how are you? Five minutes with someone, you know, just talking, 10 minutes, whatever. Then you go back home, you have your me time. There's some days you may not want to interact with anyone and you just want me time. But don't isolate yourself. Isolation is not good when you are trying to recover from drugs. Um, it's stress too. You don't want to, um, your PTSD may get a hold of you, which I know this from experience. I have PTSD and anxiety myself. So sometimes I don't want to be around people or I just don't want to go outside. So I just stay inside and talk to them on the phone or do things here that, you know, I can keep my mind busy. Um, let's see. Number five, challenge yourself. Challenge yourself to do something you've never done before that you've always wanted to do as long as it's not hurting you or someone else. Number six, avoid unhealthy habits. So that includes like smoking, eating the wrong kinds of food, like an unhealthy diet, um, smoking cigarettes. I need to quit that. And um, so, so I have a lot of things I still have to work on too. Just make sure you're not doing any unhealthy habits. Make sure you're taking care of your hygiene, everything, you know, just make sure you're taking care of yourself. Number seven, help other people. Once you're taking care of yourself, then you can help other people, whether it's getting the newspaper for them or checking their mail for them, going on a walk with them, whatever. If they're lonely and they need someone to visit with them, I go and visit a lady here and um, I try to keep her company, I wash her dishes, do what I can, you know, sweep them up her floors, whatever. And just sit and have company, just to have company. She gets lonely just like I do, just like anybody does. You just sit and talk with her, watch a movie with her, it makes her feel good that she has someone. Um, so just do something like that. Or just call somebody on the phone and say, hi, how are you doing? You know, anything to help someone to live another day. Number eight, and it'll help you too. Number eight, work smarter, not harder. We all need to do this. Number nine, try to be positive. I always try to stay positive when negative thoughts start getting in my head. Then I come on here and I do a podcast and talk to you guys, and then I feel a lot better. Um, so, I mean, there's different things we can do, but I would just always think positive. When you start feeling like you're going to be negative inside, well, we feel it coming inside, and we're like, uh-oh, uh-oh, here it comes. Oh, my God. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, here comes the tears. Okay, no, no, no. We can't do that. I know I do it a lot. Um, we all do. We just have to do other things to keep us busy and to think more positive. We have to look at the pros and cons of our life. Basically, this is what I do. A pros and cons list. What are the pros? What are the cons? And the pros are going to outweigh the cons because there's blessings every day.
Um, number 10, accept the things you cannot change. That means forgiving yourself for things that you've said or done in the past to hurt someone or just anything, anything. Okay, maybe you cheated on a boyfriend and you felt bad about it. You know, I was there, I've done that. Um, maybe you said something to hurt someone. I'm sure I've done that. I, well, you know, anyways, so I'm sure we've all done that. So anyways, just try to think positive every day. Sorry, I kind of got away from the speaker. I'm not perfect, you know. But yeah, just, if you do these 10 stress busters, it really will help you. It's helped me a lot. And I even do more that's not even listed on there. Just because I'm trying to stay um, not in my mind. Because, you know, I tell people, we are the biggest criticizers of ourselves. And we are going to down ourselves more than other people do. Why? Because we know our faults. We know what we do. And we're going to criticize ourselves. You look in the mirror and be like, oh my God. I feel pretty when I don't look in the mirror. I think a lot of people do. But then I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to feel pretty without looking in the mirror. And if I look in the mirror again, oh hi. Just walk away. <laughs> but no, seriously. We are the biggest criticizers of ourselves. And we have to learn to talk positive. What I suggest is going in the mirror every day and saying to yourself out loud in the mirror, I am beautiful. I am beautiful. And say it two more times. And then I'm telling you, you beautiful, smart, intelligent, you just say whatever you want that's positive in that mirror. Every single morning when you get up, you're going to start thinking that way. You're not going to have this big ego or anything, but you're going to start feeling beautiful. Okay? Even if no one else does, you're not living for anyone else. You're living for you, not for no one else. Remember that. And if they don't like the way you look or the way you talk or the way you act, guess what? God bless you. Have a great day, sir. Okay, so um, I'm, I'm just being real. That's just how I am. So we're going to get on with this. So the stress comes and then we want to use drugs. My drug of choice was meth. Um, I'm, I'll be honest, I currently smoke weed right now, but the weed has helped me to come off the meth. Sometimes that doesn't work for everyone. Sometimes it's a gateway drug. Sometimes the weed is not enough and they want to go to the meth or they want to go to this or this or that. No, if it doesn't work for you, then don't do it. Just stay off of everything. Okay. Cause, um, a lot of people are not me. Um, so, I want to start off with this. So, there's an opiate crisis in the world. Honestly, opiates have been around for a very long time. Longer than most people think. And I've done this research because I'm trying to help those that are on it to get off of it. And if they're not on it, to not get on it. Because opiates are so bad. So, I'm going to get with this. And this is, when did the pharmaceutical companies start giving out prescriptions for opiates okay well the first wave began the increased prescribing of opiates in the 1990s with overdose deaths involving prescription opiates natural and semi-synthetic opiates and methadone increasing since at least 1999 the second wave began in 2010 with rapid increases in overdose deaths involving heroin oxycontin was approved by the Food and Drug Administration December of 1995. Makes you wonder, huh? Yeah, think about that one for a moment. Okay. So you just see, you just start seeing the big picture. Just listen. So 
So in the 1990s, pharmaceutical companies created and marketed powerful painkillers and new formulations intended to treat patients with chronic pain. The companies reassured the medical community that patients would not become addicted to opiate pain relievers and healthcare providers began to prescribe them more widely. Let me read that again. The companies reassured the medical community that patients would not become addicted. <clears throat> so all these different parts you can just ponder on. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so the first opiate pill was an 8,000-year-old hardened Sumerian clay tablet. Ancient Greeks, Indians, Chinese, Egyptians, Romans, Arabs, people in Middle Ages, Europeans from Renaissance till now, new opium was an ever-approved next-door medicine. So opiates have been around for over 8,000 years. Wow. Can you believe that? That's crazy. So what is the strongest pain medication for humans? Opiates more powerful than morphine include Dilaudid and Oxymophone. Mophone, something like that. <laughs> um, I'm guessing that's how you say it for real. It's O-X-Y-M-O-P-H-O-N-E. Opana is in the parentheses. It's O-P-A-N-A. But the strongest opiate in community is fentanyl, which in its extravagant form is 70 to 100 times more potent than morphine. So what do pharmacists have to say about giving opiates to their patients that come in with these prescriptions to drop off? Well, a total of 652 pharmacists returned to the survey for a response rate of 64%. 86% reported that they were concerned about Several of many of their patients who were taking opiates, 36% reported that at least one patient was intoxicated from opiates while visiting their pharmacies within the past year. Reasons for opiate intoxication included the patient taking more than prescribed, 84%, the patient using alcohol or sedating drugs along with the opiate, 69.9% or the prescribed dose being too high, 34%. So here's what I think. I think they should have these people monitored that's on these opiates. They should be tested for alcohol and other drugs they may join before before they are prescribed these opiates. Then there can be less overdoses. It's just my opinion. Pharmacists reported difficulty in reaching physicians directly by telephone, 43%, and indicated that physicians uh, frequently did not return their call promptly, 28%. System-wide strategies are urgently needed to improve the safety of opiate prescribing and to enhance communication between physicians and pharmacists. So who is to blame? Is it the doctors that prescribe these opiates? Studies say no. Here's some insight on doctors and prescribing certain meds. It's illegal to give kickbacks to a doctor to prescribe drugs, but it is legal to give money to doctors to help promote your drug. Some doctors make tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars a year beyond their normal practice just for working for the industry. There are also many crooked doctors out there that will uh, inappropriately prescribe opiates with a secret payment between that patient and the doctor. Not all doctors, but some doctors. Um, okay. 
Also, doctors were more likely to get paid by drug companies if they prescribed a lot of opiates and were more likely to get paid a lot of money. Among doctors in the top 25th percentile of opiate pres prescribers by volume, 72% received payments. Among those in the top 5th percentile, 84% received payments. The bottom line is, the more opiates doctors prescribe, the more money they make. They really care about us, don't they? Family medicine comes in at 20.5% in prescribing opiates. Internal medicine at 15.7%. Nurse practitioners at 9.9%. Physician assistants at 9.3%. Pain clinics at 8.9%. And dentists at 8.6%. Hmm. But it's a family medicine. Family medicine. Okay. Did you know pharmacists spend six years in college, then they mainly hide in the back of the pharmacy counting pills? But here's an interesting fact. Pharmacists generally know more about drugs than our doctors that are prescribing them to us. Hmm. That's a very interesting fact. I like that one. So tips on preventing substance abuse. So number one, understand how substance abuse develops. Number two, avoid temptation and peer pressure. Develop healthy friendships or relationships by avoiding people, even family, who pressure you to use substances. Number three, seek help for mental illness. Number four, examine the risk factors. Number five, keep a well-balanced life. There are three ways to help reduce exposure to opiates and prevent opiate use disorders, such as one, prescribing drug monitoring programs, which I think is a great idea. Number two, state prescription drug laws. If we don't have any, we need to get some. Number three, formulary management strategies in insurance programs such as prior authorizations, quantity limits, and drug utiliz utilization review. Wow, I'm trying to talk. I'm doing pretty good. So, I mean, I think all these are great ideas. I really do. So, in 2020, there were 68,630 opiate overdose deaths. That's a lot. Okay, that's a lot. Um, let's see, um, 2021, there's 80,411, so it went up a lot. And then 2022, 109,680, that's a lot. That's a lot. Okay, guys, that's a lot. That's too much. We need to get these numbers down. Our people are dying. Our families, our, all of our loved ones, our friends, they're dying, and it's very sad. Um, and it's still increasing. So if you're, an, if you're an addict or addicted to opiates, please seek help. It's so sad to see the number of overdose deaths getting higher. I mean, come on, we need to band together to help each other instead of walking away and ignoring it. I mean, it's sad. You see so many people walking away from each other. Oh, God, he's an addict. Oh, my God, don't talk to him. No, if you see someone that is nodding out and needs help, Help them to stay awake for one. Call 911. Also, um, if you see that person later, you see another person that's asking for help, give him some advice. You don't have to have them live in your home or whatever. Just just help someone. Just I do. I mean, come on. We need to help each other. Help each other to live and to be clean off of this stuff because it's so bad in this world. Um... I'm really like talking to you guys, and I'm trying to find the number for you guys. 
Well, I'll put it in my, um, on, on the front of the thing then. I was trying to find the number. I have some numbers for treatment centers in Missouri. Um, I can always just leave you my um, email um, if you have any questions um, for treatment centers and in your state or in the state of Missouri. I'm willing to help with that. And I know where some free ones are um, in Missouri and out of the state. So if you need help, questions, anything, I'm here for you. I'm here for everyone. Because if I'm helping someone else, I'm helping myself. So I am um, if you need to get a hold of me, you can contact me at my email at Fran F R A N G E A R eight oh five at gmail.com. Fran Gear. Um yes. <laughs> Fran Gear eight oh five at gmail.com. But I'm, I'm more than happy to help anyone with questions, anything, anything. If you just need someone to talk to, you're alone. And you feel sad and depressed. And you just need someone to talk to, get good advice from, or to cheer you up. I'm here for you. I'm, I'm here for you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the education that I had to give and the caring and kindness that came out with it. Y'all have a great night. And I will be speaking again soon. Thank you.